That hey, was... how do, how was because I just messed with some knobs that I have no idea the ramifications of. Mm-hmm. How do I sound? I mean, the usual, not very good. Smooth. For, wait, what does that mean? Is that a stab at his voice? Or yeah, just his voice, okay. the timbre of his voice. Well, we can I can deal with that. Um, I need a new microphone. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Anyway, (laughs) anyway, this, so I'm in the chapel last night before bed doing a little praying and, uh, very like very grace-filled prayer time short prayer time but very grace-filled and uh anyway i just had these two thoughts come to me and i don't even know like if they're related but we'll see anyway so one i've been reading this hemingway the sun also rises book and i'm almost through it and i've actually gotten to really like the book at the end and so i don't know if i'll like it at the very end or whatever time will tell but there's this one paragraph in the book. They're in, I think, Madrid for like the running of the bulls. Is that where that is? And this, so. this is just a freaking fiesta that they're at, man. Like week-long party. But he's talking about at some point like the party is going on and just how like that mindset, like what it does to the people at the fiesta. Because he's like, in it, there are no consequences for your actions, even though there might be afterwards. So, like, the the attitude and the atmosphere that this fiesta creates is, like, unique to human experience. Um, and I'm reading into that, but it was just, like, an interesting thought. And for some reason, it stuck with me, and I, I just took it to, like, I don't know, a little bit of reflection last night. And I thought of, when I was praying about it, I thought of Father Hennessy. And just his, like, I don't know, Hennessy is just one of those guys that, like, is so confident in Jesus, like, in him and in himself as a, as a priest. Um, and I don't know, there was just, like, there's just this certain, like, fearlessness in Hennessy that is pretty palpable when you're around him. And it was just interesting to me, like, I never thought that would have come up, but it just kind of came up in my heart during this prayer time of like, like this atmosphere that, um, which is a total like debauchery atmosphere as well of, I mean, literally people are just like drunk all the time and like they're, they're sleeping around and I mean, it's just, it's debauchery. But that one paragraph Hemingway had about like, what the fiesta creates like this mindset spurred me to think of Hennessy and like his fearlessness and how he lives. So I don't know. It could be nothing, but I was like, oh, that'd be something fun to talk about anyway. Yeah. Well, I kind of think of the, the way you described it as consequence free as something negative. Um, and there's definitely, I think a fearlessness in guys like Hennessy or any of the saints, but mm-hmm. Not in the sense of like, oh, we can just do whatever we want, like libertinism. No, and that, that's not what I was trying to 
say either. Like I, I also viewed that as negative, like in this in this book. But it's interesting, like for some reason that stuck with me, um, and like I don't know for whatever reason, like in this little prayer time, it was it was, and it was like just kind of grace filled of thinking about, and I don't even know Father Hennessy that well. But just being around the guy. And so it's not the consequence free thing that like I was going on. You're talking so, about the the spirit of the environment. Yeah, is, exactly. Kind of what mm-hmm. what drew you to it. Yeah. And that connects to Father Hennessy because he he also lives like very very confidently, like not afraid of the consequence of his actions. Maybe. I don't know. Sense. I okay. honestly don't like we can stop this right now if you guys don't want to talk about it. Because I don't know. <laughs> You like, have a way of this is like, this reminds me of the wedding ring thing where it's just like I don't know why I'm thinking about this, but this. What do you guys think? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I literally thought about it last night. I was like, I want to pull Biscan mess on this, yeah, just to like just to see. But honestly, if you guys have something else to talk about, yeah, dude. I mean, I I think I get it because really? that's it's been well, I don't know, but that's I been don't a, get it. But. He has been a huge. <laughs> a huge grace for me this semester because of his confidence as a disciple in Jesus. Yeah. And like him living fearlessly has taught me what it looks like to be a legitimate follower of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I mean, just to kind of toot my own horn, I thought I said it really well when we were talking about <laughs> Father Hennessy. You don't hear that very often, do no. you? It's, Actually, it reminds I'm, me of something I said. Uh Yeah. A brilliant man once said this. It was me yesterday when we were talking about Father Hennessy. Um, but he's like he's a legitimate disciple, not removed at all from the span of time from like when Jesus was physically walking on the earth until now. Like the guy knows Jesus so intimately that he is like an eye hand uh, first. What is it? An eyewitness. First hand. Uh, first you gonna say eye hand coordination? First eye hand witness. Eye hand coordinated witness. He's an eye hand first witness. Okay. Um, no, he's a first hand eyewitness. So there's like there's there's no space between him and Jesus. Like he sees the guy, he hears the guy, he talks to the guy, and then he goes out and follows him so directly. And there is like he he does live a life that it it seems like. There isn't fear of consequence of his actions, but that's because he is so, he honestly is so in union and so, following so close behind Jesus's footsteps. So his confidence is not an arrogance, not in any way. And I mean, I'm, I know you know this as well, Father Connor. I don't know how close you were to him, mm-hmm. but his confidence is entirely in Jesus. And so the consequence of all of his actions are like out of his hands, even. It's like, I don't even have to worry about this because this is the actions of the Holy Spirit. And I've seen him get feisty too. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. be, a, be a, a, a strong person and, a, ch- and a, a person who challenges people as well. Like, it's not all, yeah. it's not all clouds and rainbows with that guy. Um, so I do, like, he lives. There is something of, like, when he speaks. And, it, like, the thing is, the funny thing that literally kind of made me laugh. Last night. It's like, I really don't know him that well. Like I know him to say hello and yeah. I've never had him for direction or anything like that. 
But there is just something when he talks. It's like this image of, for me, I thought about this. He gave some type of like little retreat day for us last year. And this image kind of came to me of like, hopefully being in heaven someday and getting to meet like all of these like big time, like great saints, you know, St. Paul or like kind of go through the list, like the big, big players. And it was always just even there, like for me, it was like picturing this kind of like starstruck, like moment for me of like, man, I just got to meet St. Paul or St. Ignatius or whatever. And just like how he spoke that day, I don't even remember what exactly he talked about, but it was like this experience of he's like, I mean, he's like a, yeah, he speaks from a place that he's like a contemporary of theirs. And it's like, I could just see him like going up and shaking hands and like being bros with those guys. And I haven't been around very many people that I can say that about. Right. I don't know. Anything, Connor? Oh, by the way, Father Hennessy, for all the listeners, Father Hennessy is a priest on on faculty here, and he's he's been on faculty for a long time. So he's formed many many priests, and is just a holy holy man. So that that's who we're talking about. Yeah, I think that this is why. For instance, I never had him for spiritual direction, but there were a couple times where I wanted an authoritative and direct answer on some questions. Yeah, in my life, and I was just like, I got to talk to Hennessy. Yeah, like there's just a sense like, this guy will tell me the truth, um, and he loves me. You know, he just wants. He gave the retreat, the priesthood retreat, to all of us uh, right before ordination, and he kind of got choked up. Just like, I can't remember his little fervorino at the end, but it was basically like, if anything ever happens to you guys, and you're ever like if something bad happens to you call me you know um i will drop everything right to help you or or do whatever you need you know mm. um but you sorry know, real quick have i told the story on the podcast of how i thought my room was haunted at the beginning of this year no wait no i've never heard this story yeah you've heard this story yeah. Okay, this is probably worth telling, even though it's breaking your thought. But it was, oh, well, it, and it gets back to Hennessy. It just spurred me on. So this uh, got back for a retreat this year at Mundelein. And I'm pretty, like, pretty excited for, for this retreat. And uh, so the third year guys do the directed retreat. And so we have rooms on the other side of campus, you know, to kind of be off by ourselves, blah, blah, blah. So I go over there the first night, and we're on silence at this point. And for whatever reason, the bed over there just, like, put my back in knots. Like, in knots. It was an awful day the next day. So I was like, I'm just going to sleep in, like, my own room, my own bed for this retreat. No big deal. little change of plans. So I'm sitting. It's, like, 930 at night. I'm getting ready to go to bed. You know, whole campus is, is silent. And my my room, I have like my lamps plugged into these things and then they're on a remote that turns them off, on and off. And so I'm sitting there reading in my room and all of a sudden, like my lights, I just hear a click and like my lights just go pitch black. And I'm like, oh, crap, that is spooky, man. <laughs> and uh, 
So I, I get up and like I turn them back on. It's like, you know, no big thing. And I have a lamp up by my bed. And so I had turned it on. So like half an hour later, I'm I'm crawling into bed, uh, you know, have but haven't turned like the lamp off or anything like that. And literally like as I'm starting to lay down, click, my lamp goes off. And I'm like, oh, man, that sucks. <laughs> uh, and so anyway, I didn't sleep well at all that night, like <laughs> at all. And uh so I go, but I get up the next morning, you know, it's fine, whatever, and have a pretty good retreat day. And I, I purposely left all of my lights on all day in my room, but, and, and like nothing, nothing happened. It was completely normal. So I'm like, okay, sweet. So again, it's probably like 9, 9.30, I'm reading before bed in, in my room, and I'm like, okay, this is great. That was just such a fluke thing yesterday click my lights go off I'm like oh crap man and so i get up and i'm like no it's nothing it's nothing and no joke this is when like it really hit the fan so like there's three there's like five different buttons that control different lamps on this remote and so i just i have lamps on three of them so i just click them on like one two three and so i stand there for a minute i'm like okay okay and you know nothing all's good I'm like okay good good and so then I go, I literally go to like walk back to my couch to start reading again. And in the order I click them on, they click off like one, two, pitch black oh my in my gosh. room. I'm like, oh gosh. So I was pretty freaked out at that point and uh, was going to, so I actually went and slept on the other, with the uncomfortable bed on the other side of campus. <laughs> but... <laughs> Yeah. Long story short, it ended up I literally woke up in the middle of the night and I realized that Porter has the same remote system like on his. I was, gonna, I was actually going to say, is this Porter pranking you? Wow. There you go. <laughs> well, it, so. But he wasn't intentionally pranking you. No. Was, yeah. So I get I get up the next morning and I'm it's like early at this point and I'm reading in my room and my lights click off. So I literally like sprinted down to Porter's room and uh not and like knock on his door so he comes to it and i was like all right have your lights been turning on and he was like yes yes like what's happening <laughs> and i was like oh we're turning each other's lights on and off but he had convinced himself that satan never turns the lights on and so he wasn't that freaked out about it <laughs> oh my gosh time. you guys <laughs> um so anyway that was that was that story I had that figured out but that second night, like when my lights turned off in order like that, how I turned them on, like my mindset was, okay, tomorrow I'm going to, like Father Gus was my director and I'm going to see if he can come do something to this room. And if he won't or if it doesn't work, I'm going to Hennessy. Mm -hmm. Like there's one guy to call for this yep. and it's Hennessy. Yep. So anyway, continue. Yeah, I'll have to say there. It's funny how, I mean, I just, a, a very few times I feel like um, there's some kind of spiritual invisible force or influence, like when I'm alone in the dark. Mm -hmm. um, but like, I, I find it completely unconvincing when people say like, oh, my lights are flashing or something. Like, I, it, I'm just too modern scientific Western 
post-enlightenment like dipped individual to be like yeah the way that satan is totally going to get you to uh like turn away from god and, and follow him into the depths of hell is by like shorting out your lights i get it i, I get it like but I get that a lot with people or, or people asking me, like, what does this dream mean? Like coming to the priest as the, uh, what would you call it? Like the shaman. You know what I mean? Whereas like, I think that the influence of Satan is much more palpable to me. And I, I'm not saying that you are, were falling into, cause I've, I've, the same thing has happened to me. Like I just pray the St. Michael, the Archangel prayer when, well, the thing that gets me is like, you ever fall asleep? And as you're falling asleep, like you just, it's almost like you hear a loud sound or you feel this like big push on you and it wait, it jars you awake and your heart rate is automatically high. Have you ever had that happen? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That I, freaks I me have. out. And I've never, except for when my, that one experience of like, I literally turn my lights on one, two, three. That is weird. They went same off in order. order. Yeah. They go off one, two, three. Because it feels like an intelligence. It doesn't feel like that wouldn't happen if it was just exactly. like, like yeah. I felt like I was being mocked at that point. Like that's right. how I felt. And uh, <laughs> and there was like a lot going into it of like I and it was some lies, but like we're on silence and like all this stuff. But that was the only time in my life that I've been like, there is something wrong here. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, there, I mean, there's been other spooky experiences, but I'm kind of the same way of like, I never honestly like <laughs> think too much on it. Are you thinking of the the time we watched The Exorcist? Or, oh, you, gosh. Yeah. Well, I'm you just, can tell that story. I, yeah. I'm also <laughs> laughing because um, and not to to swerve too far off of the Father Hennessy point, um, even though we, we may already be gone. We may be there. gone. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I just laugh because I'm totally the opposite from you two guys in this regard. Like, I mean, I turn my lights off at night and I am sprinting, <laughs> sprinting to get under those sheets, dude. And it honestly, it, it, it's been since like, I don't know, maybe being in seminary, like just maturing a little bit and, and getting a little bit older, uh, um, that stuff is freaks me out. I, I have a very active imagination, um, and I think I'm very believable in all those things. And growing up, I was terrified of the dark. Hmm. Like it, even I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's, it's all Metz's, but like flushing the toilet, like the <laughs> toilet monster. <laughs> so if you're ever if you're ever in the Metz household, you'll hear a flush. <laughs> kids sprinting from that toilet monster <laughs> oh my gosh dude that thing bathrooms used to freak me out like i am terrified of all of that stuff <laughs> like so easily prone to those things i mean even since being in seminary i can remember having times where i like could feel myself getting afraid of some presence that isn't there but, like having this kind of felt experience but also knowing like I'm very prone to this. So I would just turn my lights off and just stand in the middle of my room in the dark. I'm like, nope, just going to stand here. Like, that's not real, Mike. You have to, you have to understand that. Seriously, I remember doing that as an adult in my room. Um, so like I definitely, I'm definitely not in the same boat as you guys. Um, as and I'm not as saying that I'm right. I'm not saying that like people right. who are more 
sensitive to these things are automatically fools. But that is my first internal reaction is like, ugh, believe in science, <laughs> you know, but like there's got to be, and, and some of it may just be like, a lot of people use that as a justification for ignoring spiritual things. But I, I think that once you get more, well, this is going to sound condescending, but you know, the discernment of spirits, the Ignatian discernment of spirits and realizing like how the evil one actually tries to influence us is actually in ways that you would not notice that you would think were your own thoughts, you know, like, uh, I'll pray tomorrow or, or whatever, you know, like that's Satan, not like flickering lights or shadows, you know, it just seems like it stands to reason if, if Satan is an intelligence, if angels are an intelligence that, I mean, cut off from God, they are kind of like adolescent children in terms of like, they just act out, you know, and sometimes in demonic possession, mm -hmm. there is this kind of childish acting yeah. out and like displays yeah. of power, like bullying. Yeah. But uh, for the most part, he just wants to drag us into hell and the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Sure. Um, but at, at the same time, and I'm not, I'm certainly not defending my hyperactive imagination or sensitivity to, um, I, I guess, yeah, feeling a presence or something like that. But I do think also like when there is a presence in there, like it does produce a fear or an anxiety. Um, I wonder when anything, I go into, like when, when, into like hotel rooms, you know, and you don't know what has happened there. And I'm not talking about like Ouija boards and stuff, but like even adultery or pornography or, or just like, Behavior that, you know, by necessity of its nature, like has excluded God or, or like kind of found refuge in darkness and hiddenness. I, I do feel like sometimes I'm just thankful I'm not like more spiritually aware. Like if I were Catherine of Siena or something, I would probably see that. And because the, the, what was the saint that saw little demons? hanging in front of every one of the stations of the cross or was that a story about somebody hmm i don't know that yeah, yeah, I don't like know some that priest walked in he could see he could see spiritual things and he walks into a church and therese had the therese had the thing where she saw demons once but they were like like laughably like little and scared her whole point was that they were more scared of her than she was of them even mm -hmm. as like a little girl but i don't know the one of them hanging from yeah, I don't know either. Uh -uh. That might be a story I heard about a priest who had one of these gifts and he yeah. like walks into a church and, and just sees these demons like in front of the stations of the cross. You know, like that, you know, a hunger for prayer is something that Satan is going to want to uh, try to redirect towards some other good, you know. But uh, what was I going to say? This is. This is the kind of thing, this is even more than Top Gun. This is how to get people fascinated about priest stuff, is to be like, oh yeah, totally demons and exorcisms. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that is so true, man. <laughs> but I was, uh, I did have dinner with a um, a big fan of the podcast, uh, Moira. Shout out to Moira and her family. Uh, she Moira. Lives, she Moira. lives near my parish and had me over to dinner a couple times. And cool. this, can, this kind of stuff came up 
uh, I can't remember how, but about spiritual warfare and something like that. And I was saying, I think it was a line I heard from you guys, right? This, the exorcist guy who came to speak to the seminarians, I had to miss that class for some reason. But, um, he said that much more powerful than any exorcism or any rite of exorcism are the sacraments of confession and Holy Communion. Like that, that was the guy that I heard. I heard him. He came to U of I when I was a student there. And then actually when I was a missionary, he came to, uh, he came to Nebraska actually. And, and, um, and that was, that was one of the first points he made. He gave a, he gives a, like a really good presentation of, of being an exorcist just because He's not like an entertainer. He's not trying to wow you, but he will like tell some stories that are, I mean, super freaky. Um, but that was that was like probably I would say his number one point is that yeah, exactly. The sacraments, in specifically confession, are way more powerful than an exorcism, and then the actual rite of exorcism is made for like very very particular circumstances in in the church and it's an important thing obviously but he's he he talked also about like a ton of the people he met with or like want to meet with him um you know one of the first things he'll say is like okay we'll come back to confession and go to mass or like okay get all of this like demonic stuff out of your house you know etc and uh, yeah like delete all the porn from your computer and uh, yeah, say exactly. sorry say sorry to your sister you know like that yeah and i mean he and he said it's it's shocking that like people will not do that right and not and his whole point was like he's like 9 times out of 10 if someone that was like experiencing some issues came to me and i was like okay on the next full moon cut the head off of a chicken and, and dance around a tree stump, they would literally be taking notes of like, yeah, 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 okay, yeah, yeah, got it, got it. But if I tell them, hey, go back to confession and get the porn off your computer, then they're like, oh, come on, Father. Like, what is this? Yeah, you know, right. so. What is that? What, why, why is that? Because there's even the story in the Old Testament with the guy, actually, it was a couple of weeks ago, um, Naaman. Uh, I can't remember who the figure was, but he goes and asks him to wash in the Jordan seven times, and the guy's like, "No, it can't be that simple." Yeah, but we we do. We want all this elaborate, like throw salt around the air and do a dance, waving your hands five times, and then yeah, slaughter the chicken. Why? That is uh, that, that is my main thing. My main concern with uh, a fixation on evil and demons is that. Uh, I think that evil is legalistic. I was watching, I, uh, it was funny. So my secretary comes into the kitchen as I'm making breakfast and she's like, what are you making for breakfast? And I always make the same thing, basically eggs and toast. And, uh, I just said the same thing we do every night, Pinky, try to take over the world. Like that just kind of came into my mind. And, uh, (laughs) And then while I was watching, so then I had Pinky and the Brain on the mind, and I thought I haven't watched that in like a decade. So I watched it. <laughs> I watched it on my phone while I ate breakfast. I watched an episode, and it happened to be like a Halloween, like whatever one was on YouTube was a Halloween episode. And Brain is tempted by the devil with like power, you know, because that's what Brain's whole thing is. He wants to rule the world, and so the devil's like, 
you know, I'll give it to you if you sell me your soul kind of thing. And Brain is too proud. He's like, no, I can do it myself. But then he fools Pinky into uh, giving him his soul. So Pinky's in hell getting tortured. And it's funny because he actually isn't capable of being tortured because he thinks everything is pleasant. But Brain, <laughs> but Brain goes and he tries to rescue him. And the whole episode it was so funny because the devil was like this smooth operator, kind of used car, car salesman type of guy. And he kept pointing at like uh, clauses in the contract that Pinky had signed and all this stuff. And um, then they have some kind of competition where the devil cheats, but it was never in the contract that it had to be a fair competition and all this stuff. And it's all this legalism. And I thought that's really perceptive for a cartoon because I think the devil is a huge legalist. You know, like once you, yeah. um, he's the accuser. He's a freaking accuser, dude. That is what Diabolos, I read in the, I'm reading the Fire of Mercy book. I always thought Diabolos meant scatterer, but he seemed to say. Is that Satanos? The, the that's adversary, I think. Yeah, well, one of his, oh, one of his titles in any case is accuser. I don't speak French, I'm sorry. <laughs> and in the book of Revelation, it says the accuser of our brothers is cast out. Um, so it's like the mercy and judgment thing. Like God is a judge in the sense of like he separates the sheep and the goats and he will separate the wheat from the chaff of our own hearts and only allow the good in, which is what makes heaven heaven is that you don't take any of this garbage with you, but it's because of mercy and love and the fire of love that the chaff is burned away. But hell is just full of legalism and like well you did this you know like i i think that um hell is the place where everybody gets exactly what they deserve nothing more nothing less and even just the other day i was visiting someone in the hospital and the daughter was basically running through a list of all the ways her siblings had offended her and her mother you know from the biggest things all the way down to like they they the littlest things. I don't want to get into the details, but it was exhausting. Um, and I didn't, I wanted to be like compassionate and listen. And I didn't want to whatever push her too hard because I think she was living out of some real wounds and I didn't want to not empathize with that. But to hear someone just like run down a list of debits of all of the things that someone has done to wrong you and offend you is just exhausting. I think that's what hell is, is just like, you didn't let go of the ways people offended you. And so you don't get off the hook for a single thing you did. You know, the measure with which you measure out will be measured back to you. And the condition for heaven is not living a perfect life free of sin. It's living a merciful life where you don't hold anything against anyone else. You know, and I think that's the thing that has to be burnt and purged away. But the devil is just like this why why we think like the way to be liberated from satan is like to dance around with a headless chicken is because it seems like there must you know there must be some exacting way like you have to do it exactly the right way to be free it's magic basically yeah and uh what's well, like it's, it's not yeah, as intuitive I, that it would just be like actually be sorry for your sins and reconcile yourself to to those you've offended and it is you will be set free it, it is a little bit i don't know paradoxical isn't the right word because i 
ag- agree with like everything you said, but there is. I don't know if it, if it's like the aspect of mystery that like draws people in or whatever. But I was when we were at the cabin in Colorado a couple weeks ago. I took uh, T. S. Eliot, the Four Quartets, with me, and I was reading it uh, throughout along with this Hemingway book. And um, towards the end of, of the poem, uh, he's talking. Eliot talks about how. Uh, I don't I don't remember like how to quote it. But at one point he says, like, we will either be consumed by fire or fire. And the in a sense, he says then, like, the only way for redemption is to re- be redeemed from fire by fire. And that was always like even thinking back on the yeah, the pe- people that w- want to like dance around a tree stump with a headless chicken or whatever to combat the devil. It's like in some way, exactly. They think it's magic. But it's like they want to like throw water on this fire. It's like they mm-hmm. misunderstand or um, like overestimate who the evil one is, and that's just not the right move. In this. I mean, even when earlier when you were talking about uh, the discernment of spirits, of you know, like there is a way to sort through that. But even like that, the the. Uh, the title of that book, like the fire of mercy of like this sacramental life, this life of grace, like that's a hotter fire in a sense. And I, I, I don't know. It just cued me in. I really like that as well. When we were in the meadow, actually, I pulled out T.S. Eliot and was reading oh, nice. that. And it's yeah. like, we will be redeemed from fire by fire. Like, that's good, man. Yeah. And it's also, I don't know how the Lord does it. Oh, well, with the cartoon, I think it's also very perceptive. Um, the fact that the devil's also the one who, who sets the rules. So he, he, he claims what you have to do and what you can't do. And then as soon as you break it, like he's the one who jumps all over you for it. And that's totally like when it comes to discernment of spirits, expectations like that, I, are actually self-created or have been created like with the help of the evil one. Like kind of what you said when he's putting those thoughts in your head and it's like, no, that Hey, you have to live up to this standard, like perfectionist tendencies. And, and then the moment you fall short of it, like he points to that clause and says you fell short and starts the accusations, but they're all according to his terms, which is like, mm-hmm. that's the wrong starting point for it. Like he doesn't set the rule rules. You don't you don't have to play by his rules. Like we're in a whole new set of ball game. Like it this is a whole whole different um a whole different thing. It's all according to a look of love. Like that's so even playing by these false rules that he sets up is ridiculous. Um kind of reminds but me there's of, also, go ahead. I feel like we're walking all over each other today. That something about your Wi Fi or my Wi Fi. Wait a second, too. I have something to say. <laughs> So you guys are kind of hiccuping. <laughs> Sorry, say that again. <laughs> what was I going to say? It reminds me of C.S. Lewis and Surprised by Joy, how like the beginning of the chink in his armor of white, why he ends up kind of assenting to atheism in his youth was because he was a really fervent believer as a kid and uh, would pray every night. But he he was never satisfied with his own prayer because he, like, he thought in order for this to work, for me to do it right, I have to do it like completely free of distraction. Like any thought that comes into my head that's not 
this prayer or whatever. You know, he basically like set up an impossible bar for himself to reach in terms of his focus in prayer. And therefore, like he just kept having to do it over and over again. He would do his prayers again or read his scripture again so that because it didn't count, you know, and that to me, that's like another image of hell, like where. Yeah, the rule is completely made up like you just either you invented it or some some demonic thing in the spiritual order, even in the whatever physical order. Maybe you read something or saw something on TV and that's just the way you think it is and it's a lie. And then you're never good enough. Um, yeah. That's freaking the well, devil, dude. A, yeah. It, actually, it was my experience last night in prayer. Um, I, I had like kind of one of those wrestling match style. Um, so I'm glad that you had a grace-filled prayer. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, I was taking the punishment. Oh, man, just spiritual battle over there. Dude. That's that's not true. Um but my experience was like to the the line you have to have the fire purged by fire. Mm-hmm. Like the only thing that Jesus wants, he doesn't want, he just wants our hearts, and he wants to purge our hearts, like the fire of our of our hearts, with his own fire of mercy. And like <laughs> seriously, my prayer last night, and it hasn't happened super frequently, but the Lord obviously knows what he's doing but it came down to one of those bargaining points where it's like lord i will literally do anything you want just not that thing and like i know i know that thing that i am so resistant to is a part of my heart that jesus wants to love and i'm like totally holding back from it i would i would have ran a marathon you know like jesus i'll do anything you want I'll not eat for the next week. I'll sleep on the floor. Like, this is how much I love you. But like this little tiny thing, this little tiny portion, Hmm. anything but that. I'll I'll do, I'll chop eight chickens heads off and slaughter 10 goats and (laughs) bathe in all the lakes of the world. But like this little thing is really what he wants. AKA Jesus just wants our hearts. Like he doesn't want all of this, the extra stuff that like, is really what I want to give in substitution for my heart. But he, that's what he wants, you yeah. know? There is... Yeah, that's good. I don't know if y'all have had that experience. No, yeah, because totally. it's like the like, thing the thing itself, whatever it is you're not naming, but uh, it's not a big deal. Like, it doesn't seem like a big deal. It wouldn't be a, a, a great offering, like um, even martyrdom or, or like running a marathon or some, something that really costs you a lot. Or, or at least like looks like it would cost you a lot. But this thing, your heart, even though it's small, has made into a big thing because you won't give it away. And yeah. that's why it's uh, important to him. Not because of like any sort of sacrifice's objective value in the eyes of the world. Like, oh, that's worth a million dollars or that's worth this many man hours. It's like, no, but that's what you really love instead of me because you won't give it to me. Well, right. And there's is that going back to yeah, yeah yeah that's it that's it and going back to even like the the stuff on like father hennessy and all this there is something about like like how palpable that is felt with him or whatever like um like he just doesn't and i know he's not perfect or anything like that but like 
you just need at least I think all of us would say that if like something was really going on big, like we would go to the Hennessy. Oh yeah. And there's just something of like he doesn't screw around with that stuff, yeah. especially for like the sons he loves. Yeah. I was thinking I thought about this the other day, and I hadn't I mean, this is an old memory. It's kind of another grace from prayer about something else. But uh like my hometown is dude small small town usa and it's a it's an old football town so like i mean people follow the high school football team and so i remember going to all these games when i was a kid and we would always play football down like just past the end zone and then cars would like line maybe like 15 yards after the end zone so you had to get your car there to like get a spot to watch the game it's the thing you do in small towns and uh Anyway, I remember, like, I was, I don't know how old I was, junior high, maybe, and we were playing football as the game game was going on, and, like, we overthrew a pass or something like that, and it, like, bounced up and hit this guy's truck, and he was pissed. (laughs) So he literally, he, like, took our football and he was like, no, you guys aren't playing any anymore. At like, your high school football game? At the high school football game. What? This is a local guy. Like, no, yeah, but he wasn't. I mean, Rob wasn't on the team, right? You were just screwing around outside the field. Or were you actually no, on the team? No, 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 no. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. So this is like junior high kids playing like like touch football. Oh, out, like oh, oh, not oh, in the end oh, zone, oh, oh, but like outside of the end zone as the high school game's going on. So okay. this is like 10-year-old Rob. Okay, this is not like the high High school team. Oh gosh! Okay. No, no, no. He's like, okay. No, so we're out. Like, we're not on the field. We're other side of the end zone. Right, right. Uh, pass gets overthrown. Like, hits this guy's truck, and he takes the football. Yeah, oh, and yeah. he's a jerk to us, like big time. Oh, I know that guy. And so I'm super embarrassed, and like all it, and like it's just all this feeling of like we've done something wrong, and we're gonna be in trouble because he's made it. He like he's like belittled us so much. So. But we like kind of sulk back to where my parents' car was. And my, my dad, I still remember this. My dad was like, hey, where's the football? Like, why aren't you guys playing anymore? And I told him what happened, thinking that he was like going to be mad at me. Like, you shouldn't have done that, blah, blah, blah. And my dad was pissed at this guy. And so he didn't say anything. And he just, he literally walked o- over, you know, the whatever it was, 30 yards or whatever. And he didn't say anything to the guy and he just took the football from the guy's truck and he like all my buddies are like kind of behind him he's like you guys start playing football again and i mean the guy knew he was mad and it was and the guy didn't say anything anything else and it was just very much like uh you know certainly like a my dad can beat up your dad type type thing (laughs) like feeling protected defended and everything but that there's like a correlation there with like with Hennessy or like with these I don't know like spiritual dads spiritual masters or does that make sense the the sense that I get about it is almost like dude I'm not gonna play in your game like whatever you have going on like like, that that guy like that 50 year old guy like making junior high kids feel like losers and being a jerk like my dad's not he wasn't going to that guy's he's not getting a fist fight or he's not gonna say anything to him he's like Hey, I'm not I'm not messing with this, but uh I mean it's very clear. Like right. don't you don't talk to my sons again yeah. type thing. It, it like what you said about Father Hennessy, uh, Connor, is like he's a truth speaker. Like you come to him to receive the truth in love, of course. And like 
this is our football. Why do you have my football? Yeah. The reality of whose possession that football is is ours. Yeah. So why it's in your truck? I don't know. Yeah. I'm not even gonna. I'm just going to get my football right now because it makes no sense what you just did. Mm-hmm. So it's like just this breath of fresh air of like, oh yeah, this is this is the reality right here. Mm-hmm. You go and play. Like you're you're playing football. But on the I'm other not hand, even gonna play around in your rules. On the other hand, though, dude, I feel like. This this certainly applies to a guy like Hennessy and to to great father like figures that not only do you expect him to tell you the truth, but there's something about him that demands you tell him the truth. Absolutely. Do you get what I'm saying? Like you wouldn't like if Dang you if you were that. Why you gotta say that? Yeah. If you were freaking some really actually a loser kid who had been screwing around and screwed up somebody's truck and then you went to your dad and we're this spoiled kid, and you're like, we didn't even do anything wrong. We were just playing, and nothing happened, and he just took it away, and right. that whole crap. Uh, yep. You know, that's not going to fly either. You know, that's very true. Yeah, um, my dad would have freaking hided me had he, had I done something <laughs> like that. Dude. But I, yeah. I imagine you went up to him and you said, "Look, we were we were playing a little too close to the cars, and it bounced up. It was an accident, but he he took our football away, and mm-hmm. and then." You know, a, a son who acknowledges his own weakness and, and error and has suffered a punishment way too severe for it. Like the father perceives it and he, uh, but if you did lie to him, you would get, yeah, you get the consequences of that. But you told him the truth and he defended you. He stood up, he was an advocate, you know? And yeah, yeah I do like that image of him just kind of making that guy, I can imagine he felt about an inch tall. Oh, you yeah. know, when he's like, you literally took a ball away from kids at a game. Why? Because, I mean, you didn't do anything to the, like, you didn't dent the truck or anything. It just kind of bounced up and hit it. Oh, no. I mean, it, it like, yeah, it was nothing to, or anything like that. Yeah. I, there was no damage or like, it was him being a big, big time jerk. Like, he just didn't want us playing in front yeah. of his truck. Yeah. yeah. Man. Yeah, there is something, Father. I love that point, man, because it's it's like the um, the father teaching you how to be a father as well. Like, hey, this is what it looks like to live in this world as a man of truth, as a man of charity. Um, and so, if I'm going to live this way, like I also influence the people around me to live a certain way as well. Um, which is why I think, like, I can you can say like. I'm a disciple of Hennessy You're, or we're disciples of Baron. Like I very much feel that because of his influence of how he's taught us to perceive the world, to live in the world, to speak truth and to proclaim the gospel. Like dads teach their children how to live a certain way. Um, and I can think of so many stories where I had to come and tell my dad the truth. Um, because I knew that he was going to save me. Uh, and I would certainly there would be consequences <laughs> for so it. That's so true. Yeah. Like, Dad, you're the only person who can save me right now. And like you're the last person that I want to tell this because there's also going to be consequences to it. But <laughs> you're the only person that I can talk to. Hmm. Um, dude, I remember one time, frick, we bought this awesome truck and it's like <laughs> still the family truck. That's not a good way to start the story, by the way. Like vehicles. Yeah. Guys. Too bad. <laughs> I remember I was there when he bargained for it. My dad's a pretty stern guy, and it was the most uncomfortable situation <laughs> of my life. 
So he comes in and he's like, hey, I want that truck right there for, um, let's say for $10,000. And the guy was like, oh, I don't know. We're asking 14. Uh, like, what do you think? We're asking 14. My dad's like, um, well, I'm just going to sit here. I'll like, I'll buy it for 10. And he just sat there. We just sat in the guy's office for like 30 minutes. And the guy was like, he just talked. The guy just talked and talked and talked. And my dad was like, yeah, uh, I'm just going to get it for 10. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll, I'll pay 10 if you want. I, that's what I can do. Um, so this, we have this truck and it's an older truck, but it's new. Like we own it and it's the family truck. So everyone in high school drives this truck and, uh, frick dude my school we just made this cross-country course and like it kind of like goes back into the woods and has some hills and it had just rained and i'm like well my my broskies my buddies they have all these big you know trucks and jacked up jeeps i'm gonna go four-wheeling back there with these guys like i'm gonna do some off-road and some mudding and i got this truck so stuck in the woods of my high school on our oh, cross-country trail gosh not only did i get it stuck but like i tried to get it out myself and dented the thing like nobody's oh. business and he had told me he said no don't take this truck back to that cross-country course <laughs> he literally said stuck. that specifically. he said don't oh, do this. man and then i went and did it like that, the <laughs> same afternoon no joke <laughs> all he did was plant the seed and like oh man that's actually a good idea I'm like that what do you mean don't press this button how am i not supposed to <laughs> it could be amazing what is it that know. fascinates you about my forbidden closet of mystery golly so i blame this on my dad but i had to go i had to call him and he called people and like got me got the truck out of the woods. Yeah. And this thing was so stuck. It was ridiculous. Um but yeah, he was the only guy who could he was literally the only guy who could save me. Oh, man. Like that, you know the people. But it it necessitated the way that he lives in truth necessitated that I too live in truth. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, man, I mean and there's so many stories where he has shaped and fathers in general mm-hmm. that live that way yeah. have shaped the type of person that I am and I, I think that we are as well. Um, that was a terrifying moment for me. Yeah. There is though, and maybe, I don't know, this, because we got to go to class here soon, and this could be a stress to try to tie in that Hemingway thing from tie the beginning. It in, bro. But there is a certain sense, like, yeah. At least from my dad, and and honestly, like the the other ones that are like really on my heart right now are priests that I've known. Of like, when it comes to their sons and daughters, man, it is a like no holds bar to save them, like to protect and defend them. And so even like that notion of like whatever the big fiesta with like no consequences and kind of like this state, obviously that's very skewed. But maybe there is a relation of like when it comes to like defending their kids, there's like there's nothing else in in the world. Um, well, I think that I to, my idea to tie in the, the party thing is that something I think I said in my first mass homily about uh, offense. It was kind of like similar to the point we were making earlier about uh, hell being like exactly what you deserve. Whereas mm-hmm. heaven is the kingdom of mercy where, yes, you get all your debts forgiven, but the cost is that you have to forgive all of the debts that you're owed, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea that Christ, the cross is this stumbling block because a lot of people will look at the cross and even if not explicitly, but in their hearts say, that's a weak man. 
because mm-hmm. he didn't demand what he was owed. Mm. Um, whereas we who benefit from what the cross does to the world to change it, that the innocent willingly suffers for the guilty and takes on their shame and covers our sin in his own blood and mangled body and then comes out glorified, that good news that now we all get to live there and the only cost is these IOUs that we carry around with us and like this person owes me for that and this and the accuser, legalism, Pharisee stuff. Um, I, I kind of picture it as like this group of people with crossed arms and scowls on their faces looking at all these people at this party where everybody's debts get torn up and they're all laughing and see that this is God's most powerful act is to is to create this kingdom of mercy and they're like those fools you know it's like a joke like when somebody doesn't get a joke and everybody's laughing and the person that's not laughing thinks it's on him or just doesn't get why everybody's happy have you ever been in a bad mood where you like smiley people annoy you i feel like that's what heaven or that's what hell is is them just like getting a glimpse of how happy everybody is in heaven at this big party um the iou burning party and <laughs> and they're just sitting there like with their freaking useless ious that they'll never collect on but they can't let go of yeah but she didn't come to my birthday party kind of crap and mm-hmm. st- and i don't ever want to see her again so I, I can't go to heaven because she's up there and uh i don't want to see her because i i want to guard this resentment and hatred in my heart or or whatever for this this minor offense but then everybody's just miserable and then heaven is this big party where yeah it's not like it's not libertinism that's why that's a counterfeit that running of the bulls thing because that's what we really do want we want the freedom of uh freedom from sin freedom from the consequence of sin which is death but the only authentic way to get that is mercy and obedience and surrender and and the cross which is costly you know it's like that little thing whatever your heart is holding on to mike like letting that go that's what's painful about heaven is the burning away of that stuff um you know and it doesn't take cutting chickens heads off or running around tree stumps or anything magical it's like this deeply personal uh purgation of whatever you're holding on to that's keeping you from like just letting it all go and enjoying enjoying God, which yeah. is what he wants for all of us, you know? And there is such like a, it, it's just a maturity and everything, but like in that, like there's just a refusal to like, like play games with that. Um, or just like a absolutely not necessity in it. Um, you know, it's a, I don't know that I didn't think that would come up at all, but even that memory of like my dad getting that football for us of like in no way, like my dad didn't like hold that against that guy. Like he didn't say anything to him. He didn't want to get in a fight with him. Yeah, he didn't dress him down and make him no, feel like, bad. Yeah. I think, and I think the guy probably did feel like an inch tall, honestly, mm-hmm. but like that wasn't my dad's like hope or intention of that. He was just like, Hey, like we're not, we're not doing this, you know, like whatever this is, that this is not happening. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then you, you move on. And it's interesting even thinking about it, like 
I was never mad at that guy, like, after that, because it just wasn't a big thing, you know? It just was what it was, and mm-hmm. we moved on. It was a restoration. <clears throat> it wasn't like squishing somebody who had squished you. you know? No, it was, yeah, not at all. This is, again, we're putting it back right again. Yeah. yeah. It's also like how your dad saw that mm-hmm. taught you how to see it. Exactly, 100%. Um, we talked about pinky in the brain, light switch, demonic activity, mm-hmm. which I still hold it was demons. <laughs> Even if it was through the hand of Paul. Even through the right, yeah. absolutely, dude. When that clicked off, we dude, we didn't even get to tell the exorcist story. I we don't have time right now. Tell but it. Suffice to say, I pooped my pants a little. Dude, so, real quick. Okay, okay. Yeah. So we we watched ex- the Exorcist, the third one. Was it the third one? It was the third. It's an awful movie. It's like the stupidest movie ever. Um, but it was one of those movies where it was just enough to really freak you out and like some supernatural stuff that plays on religion and like uh, really demonic, honestly. I, I mean, obviously that's the point of the movie, but hated that thing. And so Rob and I, we watch it with Father House and we're walking back up and it's, I mean, it's pretty late. I'd say like 11, yeah, 11, 11, 30, something like that. So it's, it's dark outside and we're kind of chit-chatting, talking about the movie, blah, blah, blah. And we live on the same hall, obviously. And so when we're like walking by Rob's room, we kind of stop and we're like chit-chatting before we we each go to go to bed. And no joke, as we're like wrapping <laughs> wrapping up the conversation, all the lights in the hallway turn off. And we just look at each other and we're like, "Okay, good night." <laughs> <laughs> don't acknowledge it, don't say anything about it. Right. But we just sprint into our rooms. <laughs> And the next morning he comes out and he's like, dude, how crazy was that, man? Well, that was insane. All the lights just hit right off. Like, we just sprinted to bed. Like refusal to even acknowledge that it happened. Don't mm. play the game. Dude, get out of here. Yeah. We were terrified. I slept about zero that night. <laughs> yep. Terrified. Terrified. Yeah. We'll be men someday. Someday you'll grow up. Yeah. You should okay. next time that happens, just give me a call and I'll I'll come kill the spider and you know, scare the monsters away and all that. We're done. <laughs> you are a cynical scientistic bastard. <laughs> that was uh, our Halloween episode. That oh yeah, nice, dude. Yeah. <laughs> that was our Halloween episode. Hey, Didn't you, expect that, not gonna lie. Me yeah. Neither. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Down.